Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thank you for downloading this QMS podcast. I'm Mark Stephen. You've probably noticed, but just about every second advert on the television at the moment begins with the words, in these troubling and challenging times, so I'm not going to do that. But it is a fact that the Scottish red meat industry hasn't seen anything like this before. Not just the pandemic, but on top of that, the implications of any forthcoming Brexit deal or perhaps no deal. There are a lot of variables out there, a lot of unknowns ahead. Which is precisely why QMS is producing these podcasts, to try and explore some of the options and to keep you informed about what their team is up to. I'm joined this week by Tom Gibson, who's Director of Market Development. Now, he and his team work with the Scottish red meat industry to maintain and to build and to access new markets, whilst also showcasing our world-class brands. And Stuart Ashworth is the Director of Economic Services. Stuart leads the economics team who work on policy impact analysis, and providing market information and other data to help businesses plan for the future. So at the moment, that's looking at things like CAP world trade and climate change policies. Now, we're all doing this from home, so I'm going to begin just by checking we can all hear each other. Are you there, Tom? I'm here, Mark. Hi. Good stuff. Hello. And Stuart? Yes, I'm here. Good stuff. Right. We're all laughing then. Starting with Tom, can you summarise the work the market development team have been doing since lockdown? It's been a really difficult time for our industry with issues at both the supply and demand sides of the market. So, Really, we've been speaking to all our key stakeholders, our processors, our retailers, butchers, food service suppliers and chefs, just really to understand the challenges that they're facing. And then we're feeding this back into the Scottish Government and our industry bodies. You know, issues on things like furlough and cash flow, really just trying to shed some light on them. We've also been working with Scottish Development International and the International Meat Secretariat, as well as companies that export scotch to understand what's happening in the global markets for exports. You know, they've had issues there with loss of flights, changes to freight routes into Europe and subsequent increased costs that have made exporting incredibly difficult and challenging. And really here, the big issue has been carcass imbalance issues. And and on the back of that, we are launching our Make It marketing campaign. And really, over the past couple of weeks, we've been doing a whole load of retailer engagement there just to get them set up so that they can be involved with the, the whole marketing campaign that we're running. And that's aimed around driving the, the sales of higher quality cuts of beef, lamb and pork. And, you know, we're, we're getting the message out there through uh, recipe inspiration, through media, TV, PR, digital and social, and in store point of sale as well. But, you know, we still have the day job there. We're still speaking to people like national restaurant chains about relaunching with Scotch beef, which is something uh, that we're really excited about. And really working with retailers to increase the range of Scotch that they are buying. You know, they want to support locally sourced product as much as they can. And, you know, there's been interest in a couple of, over the past week or so, we've got a few export inquiries coming back in. And some of the export orders are beginning to lift up again or see first initial that test orders come through. So there's a real rebalancing of the markets going on and it's just trying to monitor that and respond to it as best we can. Stuart, what are the international market opportunities outside the EU? Well, there's some, there are some really exciting opportunities out there. Uh, if we look to the Pacific Rim, so China and, and, and Asia, there are some real opportunities there. 
for long-standing reasons, uh, you know, China, with its loss of its uh, pig herd, has generated a lot of demand for meat proteins. So there are opportunities there. There are opportunities for high-value cuts into some high-value markets like Japan, Canada. And we're working a way to see if we can exploit other opportunities that might exist in the United States, for example, um, and in other parts of the world as well. Explain something to me, because I mean, right now we're saying, you know, this is a good opportunity to say to our consumers, use Scottish produce, reduce the food miles, support local producers. Surely every other country on the planet is going to be doing the same thing after this. There, there is some beginning to be some evidence that increasingly some countries are going to look to their own uh, supply base first. But where that supply base isn't strong enough, as for example in China, then the opportunities exist. And the opportunities also exist in the the premium cuts and the premium products and the provenance and the things that come with a Scotch product. So it will not be easy to build these markets, but there is plenty of opportunity and there is opportunity there with the history of the Scotch product uh, for us to do something. The other thing, of course, that that is important to recognise is the role of export markets as significant in the terms of carcass balance for the the, the Scottish producer. So that means different countries have different preferences for cuts of meat. So there are parts of the carcass, like the offals, that are not terribly um, popular within the Scottish and the UK market, but are very popular within the Asian market. So those export opportunities there for sales of offals and sales for some of the other cuts and parts of carcasses are particularly important to the overall balance of the revenue that we generate in Scotland from our red meat carcasses. Tom, you described in some detail what your team have been up to at the moment, but I suspect that's, it's not firefighting, but you're dealing with a situation now. How about the situation post-COVID-19? I mean, does QMS have what you might describe as a recovery strategy plan? We do, Mark. It's something that we've been working on throughout this, but it's really difficult to know what we don't know. How's it going to look when we come out of COVID? But we have been looking around some of the sort of market research out there in terms of consumer behaviours. But it's going to be about reframing the debate about red meat. You know, people are going to be looking for value and they're going to be looking for health messages uh, to support their uh, their buying patterns. And I think also for us, it's really about building on the positive feel-good factor and, you know, the recollection that our farmers helped feed the nation during this crisis. So those are the sort of values that underpin the work going forward. But really, we're looking to do a couple of things. We're looking to support all of our different channels, really, with, with specific marketing toolkits that help them develop post-COVID. For example, it's going to be really different from if you're in this butchery channel and the, the support that we can give those guys who have been going great guns through this. And then if you look at the export markets, how are we actually going to bring that back? And then really the most challenging part is food service, you know, that section of the market. But we're going to be relaunching our Scotch Butchers Club and our Scotch Beef Club with uh, some marketing challenges there and how do we get them back. And, you know, we're going to be looking at exports. Again, as I say, it will be a big challenge what we do in exports. All the export trade shows have been cancelled, and I honestly can't see them coming back anytime soon. 
So really the challenge is to, to understand what it would look like post-COVID for red meat and how can QMS continue to support with these new challenges on board. Interesting you say about communicating the idea to the consumer that you know, there's... We have supported you. you know, the Scottish industry has supported you through this crisis. We have supplied you. We have fed you. But I mean, gratitude's got an awful short shelf life in business. Do you think people actually know what's on their plates at the moment? I think they know who's standing up and supporting them as best they can. You know, they'll see it from their local butcher. They'll see it from their local retailers, just the work that's into that. So, yes, but, but I think you're right, Mark. I think people's uh, attitudes and sort of focus of mind will really pretty quickly return to well, how can I get value out of the product that I'm cooking, you know, and there's some health messages that, that, that will come through for red meat as well. So it's really about how do we how do we rebalance the market and, and, and keep these sort of uh, real positive messages for the, for the red meat industry and for farming at the sort of top of people's minds. What do the figures, Stuart, look like at the moment for red meat demand from the consumer? The evidence that we have is that there, uh, not surprisingly, has been strong, strong growth in the retail position. So the supermarkets and the high street butchers are seeing growth of 20% or thereabouts in their sales of of red meat compared to this time last year. We have to put that into the context, though, of remembering that the food service outlets uh, are not operating. So it's not surprising at all to see that there has been that strong growth in high street butcher sales and in supermarket sales. What we saw initially, and picking up, I think, on on one of Tom's earlier points, is we saw that that bulk of purchase was looking towards the the cheaper cuts, whether that be mince or dicing product. As people came to terms with self-isolation and having to cook more and provide more meals in the home environment, Over the past couple of weeks or so, I think we've all become much more comfortable, if that's the right expression, with the circumstances in which we are operating. And uh, there has been some attractive offers on steaks and roasts. So we're beginning to see the retail purchase of meat change its balance slightly. Uh, Mince is still very important, but we are seeing some gain again from steaks and from the roasts as well. A lot of the supermarkets, Tom, Right now, we'll say, oh, this is, you know, this is Scottish meat, you know, and they, they are quite proud of the fact, and you see the pictures, the, you know, the photographs of the farmers up, that kind of thing, but not all of them. So how do you convince the consumer that the, the Scottish product, Scotch beef and lamb, especially selected pork, is actually their best value for money? I think when you look at the shelves just now, Mark, a lot of product is badged as British, but, you know, the big supermarkets tell us that they are still taking the same value uh, of scotch from, from their farming producers. So that's definitely out there. But I think the Scottish, when we do some research in terms of our brands and, you know, the, some of the feedback from, from consumers, they are really sort of highly aware of the scotch brands. It's over 80, 80% awareness in terms of, of the scotch brands. And they really want to do it to buy Scotch, Scotch product to, to support the farmers. These are some of the things they tell us through our research. So we need to just keep reinforcing these messages through all our sort of digital and social channels. And we'll, we'll have a campaign throughout the year on that to, to just keep reaffirming these values and uh, reminding customers that, that, that that's what they should be choosing on the shelf. This is a terrible question, but do you want to speculate what the industry might look like in a recession? 
I think when, when we get a recession, what's tended to happen is people would sort of revert to recessionary type behaviours and, and, and cooking actually comes into that. They go into back to sort of meal planning, cooking from scratch, batch cooking, etc., getting the most value that they can out of their purchasing power. So I think we may well see a little bit of that coming through, but, you know, just the occasional treat on uh, the weekend and it may be home cooked steaks at that point. So we're well geared up to, to deal with that, uh, with that side of uh, behaviour. The challenge that you have, and I accept everything that Tom has said in relation to a change in the way in which consumers will look to buy and the product they will buy. If you are talking of this, what will the industry look like if, when, or otherwise there is a recession, in terms of number of businesses that are there and the, the, the shape of the processing sector and the shape of the adding value sector, then I would be very wary to make any observation at all. I mean, some of these smaller processor businesses might find that the prolonged period without business and with poor cash flows and high requirements for working capital may pass them to the wall. Okay, let me let me rephrase the question then. Speculate for me on how the industry might look post-COVID-19. How do you think it might change in the future? I think the main issue here over the future shape of our industry will relate to the duration of business restrictions. And there are certainly some businesses that are seeing significant working capital and cash flow challenges. And the longer that they are restricted in the way in which they can trade, then the greater the risk that some of those businesses will not be there when we return to normal circumstances. Most of the other businesses are still operating. They are they are challenged probably by some additional costs. So the costs of providing a safe working environment and safe distancing within their plants and their processing facilities will clearly have impacted on their productivity and on their business margins. But I would be hopeful that at the end of this coronavirus concern, our industry will uh, still be there and will still be functioning effectively and ready to face the next challenge. Tom, any thoughts on the same question? How might the industry look post-COVID-19? I think the biggest challenge when you look at all of the different elements of our industry is, is really on the sort of food service and restaurant and hotel side in terms of social distancing measures that they would have to put in place when they open back up to the public, you know, you could be talking about restaurants running at 50% of capacity. I think if you look at some of the, the figures that are talked about in, in the trade, they need to run at 60% capacity to turn a profit. You then look at social distancing issues in the kitchen, physical problems in restaurants too, you know, menus, touching menus, non-contactless payments because the values are high, you know, things like buffet style dining will disappear just because again of the physical contact there and you also look at areas where they traditionally would have made that extra bit of cash this year so something like the Edinburgh Festival uh, something like the Christmas party nights you know they're just not going to have them and that's where they build up their sort of 
little bit of supply of cash that they could put aside to tide them through the sort of winter months. So really, if you're opening back up a restaurant just now, it's going to be really, really tough just to keep your head above water, I think, for, for some of the smaller restaurants. And and I think uh, I think it'll be a real challenge for, for them to get back up. But I'm sure there'll be elements of the public who will want to go out and support, but it just depends uh, where we are when they open back up. Yeah, you can see how enthusiastic people are with things like fast food outlets that you know they miss going to a restaurant so maybe right now we've been discussing this in terms of the pandemic Stuart but you know let's mention the b word what's the latest on brexit well the latest information that we have on brexit is that uh, negotiations between the uk government and brussels are taking place but they are progressing very very slowly Uh, there remain some very considerable differences in perception as to um, what the objectives of that those discussions should be. And it is um, concerning to, to us all and to the red meat sector in particular that the key date to the 1st of July is approaching very quickly. Uh, the 1st of July being the date, the last date at which it can be agreed to extend the negotiations for 12 or 24 months. My concern would be that in the time left, that there are some very, very significant issues, particularly in relation to trade and access to the European market for our industry, of particular concern to the sheep industry, for example, that I am nervous that there isn't enough time before the 1st of July for those careful and considered and analysed options to be talked about and agreed and worked through. I think for for us, Mark, the real sort of question hangs around, you know, the trade agreement or if there's a no-deal Brexit. You know, if, if we get that no-deal-style Brexit, then that's going to build huge complexity and cost, for example, into the, the export process uh, for our processors. So that's that, that's a real worry for us, and uh, that's probably the... The most uh, sort of concerning thing when we look at that because exporting is a fairly complex process at the minute. It's made a lot easier into Europe with the current agreements in place. And if we start breaking them down and requiring separate health certificates for each country that we need to export to, etc., it just adds a whole layer of complexity into it. And uh, I think it would be fairly off-putting to, to, to export into that type of market. Well, as I said right at the top, there are a lot of variables, a lot of unknowns. So it's just something that everyone needs to work through, I suppose. Stuart Ashworth and Tom Gibson, thank you both very much for your time. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Thank you, Mark. And obviously, thank you very much for downloading this podcast. We'll be back next week with another podcast from Quality Meat Scotland. Join us then if you can. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.